Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I want to venture in where angels fear to tread and talk to you a bit about the Michael Brown shooting. It's been in the news. It's been a point of contention in our country. It's a sad thing, I imagine, to all of us. We all know that on August 9th of this year, Officer Darren Wilson uh, felt himself threatened and ended up shooting and killing uh, Michael Brown, a 17-year-old African-American youth. Um, This shooting has become the uh, basis for heated riots, violent riots in Ferguson, uh, and I, I think we, of course, all know about this. I want to talk about it uh, perhaps from a different perspective. And, uh, you know, this, this is going to recede into history in time. Uh, it's going to leave the headlines. Many of us will forget about it. But perhaps we can gain some lessons from it. Perhaps we can learn some things um, that we, uh, we need to learn. And so I want, to, uh, I, want to, I want to discuss it for just a few moments. I'm grieved by uh, the conclusion that many of my African-American friends are drawing, and, it's, and it is completely understandable, uh, that some lives matter more than others. One of my friends is Joshua Dubois. Uh, many of you know that he was a spiritual advisor to President Obama. Uh, he's written a book uh, of his devotionals that he had written over the years for Mr. Obama. Um, he works in public policy affairs. I admire him. I like him. I'm sure we wouldn't agree on everything politically, but I like him very much. And he said uh, on, on Morning Joe uh, today, um, that some lives matter more than others. And by that, he means white lives matter more than African-American lives. I can't fault him for concluding that. Um, the fact is uh, that there are a huge number of incidents in which black youths are shot, and it's almost unexplainable. Un- uh, now, we all know that African-Americans kill more African-Americans than do whites, but I'm talking about my police situations. Um, if we're talking about gang violence, well, we're all opposed to that, and, and that, that needs to stop. But, I, but we have more control over police actions. And, and the reality is that something has gone wrong. Now, I'm a law and order, order conservative. I'm not anti-police. I'm not, uh, you know, a hyper-libertarian of any kind. I'm a law and order conservative. But uh, in Cleveland, just this past week, a 12-year-old was shot and killed. He was shot twice in the stomach by a Cleveland policeman. Um, he had a toy gun with him. Now, I understand that there can be confusing incidents, but uh, why is any 12-year-old with a toy gun being shot and killed by a policeman? Um, we all remember, I imagine, the horrible situation in 2006 where uh, an African-American man and, and uh, some other friends in a car were shot 50 times by policemen and they had no weapons and hadn't acted as though they had any weapons. Um, one of the issues that uh, incensed my friend Joshua Dubois um, was the Amadou Diallo shooting in 1999. Again, a young man killed, completely unarmed, killed by police. There's something wrong. And again, I'm, I'm pro-police. I'm a law and order conservative. There's something that needs changing in the basic way that policemen 
um, handle these kinds of threats. I'm not qualified to evaluate uh, whether Officer Wilson uh, did the right thing uh, in, in the way he dealt with Michael Brown and Ferguson. But I, I can say that it does seem to me that a rebellious teenager who probably had just robbed a convenience store and who was walking down the middle of the street in defiance of traffic laws didn't need to end up dead. That, yes, he needed to be arrested, he needed to be charged, but should he have been, should he have ended up dead with multiple gunshot wounds? Something is wrong in the basic approach. That's not all that's wrong. I'm not blaming Officer Wilson. If it's in fact true that Michael Brown uh, lunged for his gun and fought him and punched him and uh, reached for his gun and while they were struggling in the car, well, then Michael Brown put his life at risk and he bears that responsibility. But still, there's something that needs to be changed in the way in the way the police of our nation deal with these heated confrontations and I hope that police psychologists and police commanders and the training schools and those who set policy will pay attention to that I want to say also that I do not believe that the Ferguson situation should lead us to conclude that we live in a racist society. I do not believe we live in a racist nation. I believe we live in a nation uh, that is virtuous and good but has racists in it. Um, One of my mentors in business and leadership uh, is a woman whose name I won't mention, but she's an African-American woman. She's very dear to me. She was walking uh, not too long ago uh, in the woods, not too far from her home. She lives in the D.C. area, as I do. And, um, and she came upon a KKK rally. Can you believe it? Just outside of Washington, D.C., and basically in Virginia, northern part of Virginia. And she had to run quickly back to the parking lot of this park, this sort of forest area, um, to get to her car while the KKK was chasing her. Now, this is a leading woman who has tremendous impact in D.C., um, and she's basically walking in upscale uh, areas around Washington, D.C., and she runs onto a KKK rally. This is the reality in America. I'm sorry to say it. I couldn't be more opposed to everything the KKK stands for. Um, And I'm stunned uh, that someone that I am that close to um, was almost potentially, who knows what, raped, killed, beaten um, uh, by running into a KKK rally, essentially in the environs of her own neighborhood. Um, But I do not believe that that means that we are a racist nation. I think we are not a racist nation. I think we are a nation with racists in it, and we should know that, and we should battle against it. And that that brings me to the next issue that I I think we should draw from this situation, and that is um, that we all have an obligation to battle the racism in our midst. Um, I come from a Southern family where the N-word was used, um, not my immediate family, but but my father was military and we grew up in the military. And so I grew up in a very racially equal situation. Uh, Many of my father's commanders were black men. I just didn't have any negative training in that regard at all. Um, But man, when we went back to visit our relatives in the South, we couldn't believe some of the attitudes that lived there. And these things have to be confronted. You can love your family. You can love your friends. You cannot allow them to simply voice racist attitudes and opinions um, without you then participating in that and encouraging uh, the kind of things that are absolutely devastating our society. Racism is a sickness. It's a disease. I'll speak as a Christian for a moment and say that it's a sin. Uh, It's completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is something that needs to be dealt with. Uh, I want to say something else that that is a... um, 
uh, will surprise many, and that is uh, that part of the solution in Ferguson was political. Um, though African Americans are two-thirds of the population in Ferguson, uh, turnout, voter turnout was less than 40 percent in recent elections. Um, only about 10,000 people of the 25 or so thousand people in Ferguson even bothered to vote. And so uh, the reality is that while people are decrying, the commentators are decrying the fact that the city council and most of the police heads and so on were white, um, most of these are uh, politically appointed positions. And so the fact is that we don't need to have riots. We have ballots. And what we needed was a strong African-American turnout. In other words, if the two-thirds of the population that were African-American had voted their consciences, voted for people who represented their values, voted for people not just who were black, of course, but who uh, who represented what they believed and the, and the social concerns that they had, you would have had better black representation across the board. You would have had uh, whites who rep- represented the values of the blacks, even if you didn't have exactly black officials. It's, it's not about skin color. It's about worldview and values and policies. And you, you, I think you would have had a more equitable situation. It's very obvious um, that the whole situation there was mishandled uh, by the authorities. Well, you could have had better, more culturally sensitive authorities had you had voter turnout. So use the political powers that you have. Use the political powers that you have. And finally, I want to say this. I want to have authorities in uniform and in politics who are people I can tell my children to respect. I, I don't want to hear, I got to tell you, I have wept through conversations with some of my African-American friends who tell me about the conversations they've got to have with their children, especially their teenage boys. Um, my pastor in Washington, D.C. is African-American, as I've told you many times. I go to a largely African-American church here with Bev. And he was recently stopped by a policeman and hassled a bit. And he was the minister at the wedding. He was there at, as, as the head of as the officiating minister, the clergyman, at the wedding. And he was hassled for even being on the property because the assumption was that a black man shouldn't be there. Why? Uh, I want us to work to have people in uniform and in political office that we can respect, that we can tell our children not to be afraid of, but to respect and honor. And I got to tell you, since I do a lot with police and military, most of them are. I believe that most people, most of the men and women who are in military uniform and who are in police uniforms and law enforcement uniforms are good and noble civil servants. But we've got to battle for it to be better because somebody's pulling triggers they shouldn't be pulling. Somebody's having racist attitudes they shouldn't be having. And somehow we are being failed as a society and good and noble people of color are having to live in fear. What I want to say to you here is that all of us need to be part of this battle. All of us need to battle against everything from the lightest joke in the locker room that's racist all the way to the attitudes that might live in our own families, even to the people we associate with. We need to push beyond the comfortable boundaries and reach across racial lines. And we certainly need to be uh, active and involved at a social and political level to make this the great society it is called to be. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author and popular speaker who coaches and advises leaders worldwide. To learn more about Stephen, log on to stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote and performed the Rockin' Podcast theme song. 
This is a Chartwell Literary Group production. Chartwell is ingeniously led by Beverly Darnell Mansfield. As a result, all rights are reserved. For more information, contact us through stephenmansfield.tv.